Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is IronRadio.org. I'm Robert Fortney, uh, former editor at Muscle Mega International, former bodybuilder, and current powerlifter strength athlete. Hey, everybody. This is Charles Staley, author of Muscle Logic, creator of Escalating Density Training, and I am a master's level competitive weightlifter. Uh, this is Phil Stevens, strength coach, competitive powerlifter, founder of LiftForHope.org, and uh, creator of the new, the new PETA. I knew um, you were going to say that. <laughs> it's uh, uh, please eat the animals. So check us out on Facebook. We're an ever-growing group. We got 400 members after just three days. So yeah, it's uh, stunning the level of uh, of uh, recruitment that we've had for PETA, and uh, so we'll uh, we'll be keeping everybody informed. Uh, Keats, are you a member yet of PETA? Uh, I thought I need to join. I, I, I plan on joining probably later today. I, I just saw it and chuckled in passing. I thought it was a, I thought it was a brilliant idea. <laughs> yeah, it, it is brilliant because we came up with it. So uh, I think you should be a member. And uh, hey, uh, this is Keith Snydman we have as our guest today, everybody. And uh, Keith, thanks for hanging out with us today. I know you just finished up a sprinting session, and uh, I also know that you're you're kind of uh, averse to lactic acid. I remember training with you. Uh, uh, some years ago, and after after doing like a farmer's walk or something, uh, you were like hurling. Uh, <laughs> no, it was a medley. Up. Yeah, it was yeah. a it was a horrible medley that Josh Hankin had whipped up. That uh, yeah, it just about it did it just about did me in. Uh, but that's another yeah, story. You came back. I mean, Keats is like a pretty white dude anyway, but like he came back like about 19 shades whiter than white. Like. He was almost see-through. Like, if you can imagine, what was that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where they had the uh, the alien and it looked like kind of like a Predator. ripple through the yeah? Keith, Predator. you know, was looking kind of pretty close to that. You could basically see right through him. But to his credit, he came back and finished up the workout. So uh, I thought that was uh, I thought yeah. that was inspiring. But uh, hey, but so that that all of that is not Keith's official bio. The official bio is that. Um, Keith has actually been in the whole fitness, strength and conditioning, soft tissue industry for, you know, 12, 13 years now. And uh, he's worked with, um, you know, NFL players and NBA and uh, uh, USA track and field on the collegiate level, high school level. Um, and uh, he's got a, a, a great website you should check out, which is CoachKeats.com. And just so that you have the spelling, it's Coach, just like it sounds, C-O-A-C-H, and then K-E-A-T-S.com. And uh, while you're there, you can look into Keats's new DVD that we'll be talking about today, which is called Recovery and Generation, uh, Regeneration Self-Massage Techniques. Uh, but Keats is also a, um, a competitive submaster sprinter in the 100 200-meter uh, dash events and uh, is a licensed massage therapist. Uh, he is a uh, neuromuscular um, therapy practitioner, uh, certified strength and conditioning coach. There's like a million other things. He's a USA weightlifting uh, certified coach. Oh, he's a Czech level two practitioner. That's his <laughs> first day is certified. What else do you want, man? I mean, uh, are, are, Keith, are you are you licensed to? Uh, uh, to uh, to run a Geiger counter? Um, that I am not. That but that is on my goal list for this year. That, that would be an impressive thing to add on this. Yeah, or home exploratory surgery. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, hey, Kate, uh, it's cool that you're with us today. And I was just looking at your uh, DVD earlier, which is really really good. And I think we want to kind of talk a bunch about the whole idea of regeneration and and, and self techniques that you can use to kind of uh, 
recover faster and more completely from workouts. And I don't know to what degree that that that, that injuries can be resolved through this, but let's. I, I'd like to just start off by talking about the DVD a little bit. And and this is um, like foam rollers and, and tennis balls and uh, just uh, things that could that that you could substitute if you don't have an actual soft tissue person exactly. right there, right? Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's basically sort of the poor man's uh, self-massage kit. Uh, I mean, I say in the DVD, hey, if you have access to hands-on work, it's a no-brainer. That's the best. That's better. Uh, there really is no substitute for that. But in lieu of that, you know, if you have access to a foam roller, you get a lacrosse ball, a couple of tennis balls, you know, a stick or even a, you know, a rolling pin, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of things you can do on your own that are, you know, virtually low cost or free that will at least uh, keep you feeling a little better, moving a little better. I mean, the science of soft tissue work is evolving. It's definitely still in its infancy. I mean, we don't really know exactly what trigger points are and knots and all these little things, but there seems to be some benefit to doing these things, uh, you know, especially for hard training athletes like lifters and you know, explosive sport type yeah, yeah, yeah. athletes, but even your endurance athletes who are chronically, you know, beat up. And I like, you know, I mean, I know what a question I asked uh, one of our guests about a week or two ago was, you know, do you think a foam roller is like a fad or is it here to stay? Or um, well, whatever. I mean, if but, you but, think but, of what, what, well, what I was gonna say though is like you're not just talking, you're not like all married to foam rollers. It could be almost nah. any kind of object that could exert pressure on your tissue, right? Exactly. I mean, and I say that in the DVD, like, look, it's not about the object. Like, it's not about the right. brand. I mean, that's kind of like my whole idea with, like, this joint mobility thing. You call it Z-Health, call it G-Health, B-Health, whatever. Movement is movement. You know, pressure is pressure. Your brain doesn't know the difference. It's basically it's yeah. just a means to sort of apply, you know, a stimulus to your body to get a, a neuro change and an also local change. So And so... I mean, obviously, people can 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 buy the DVD, which I would really recommend they do. I think it's a, we've got it right here at Bed and Barbell, so when our clients come, they can check it out. And uh, I, I just think it's really useful. But in lieu of not having that in front of you just immediately, um, give me an idea. Like you always see, I'll, I'll just start here. You always see people rolling out their IT bands. I mean, is that like an automatic? You know, is that a, 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 an area of tissue that on virtually everyone who lifts weights? is going to be jacked up on some level or like, how do you know if you're rolling a tissue? I think people are wondering, like, how do you know if you're doing yourself any good? Like what are, what are the signs that, that you've hit a spot that needs some extra, you know, um, yeah, that, that's a fan, you know, that, yep. That's a fantastic question. And you really, there's really no easy answer. I mean, that's kind of the first thing you think of if you've ever seen a foam roller is like, you know, and I have a picture of that on my, on the cover of it, of course, it's like somebody grimacing with this, with this IT band foam roll, uh, and it is painful. I, I mean, my thought is that the IT band is really just a giant, like, very strong sort of connector rod, uh, and what you're really feeling there is more quad, is more your, your, your lateral quad, your vastus lateralis, which goes all the way back to your, you know, your hamstring, yeah. basically. I mean, yeah. it goes way back. And, it, and it's really hard to influence the IT band by just mashing on it. So, Right. I do I do those, I recommend those, but I think it's more of a quad. To really influence the IT band, you'd have to really have just work really do a lot more work on the hip, like the glutes, yeah. 
the TFL, the TensorFlash, a lot of like that merges into the you know the IT right. So that's really like the like the main source for tension in the IT band. Yeah. So mashing down the IT band to me, with the thought that you're going to fix it, is a waste of time. Okay. But yet but I, I recommend mean, people roll it, but it's not really. It's more of okay. a it's more of the quad that you're getting. Okay, but so but you're not against you know the the quote IT band uh, you know. Uh, position on on that roller you're just saying that that really it's 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 a good drill to do it's just that you're 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 really affecting the quads more than it's not really affecting the it band i mean if you yeah if you study trigger points a little bit which i know you have you know and in the travail books and everything there's this whole concept of like primary and satellite trigger points and so if you have like a trigger point in your tfl or your you know your glute max or somewhere up there that can cause a lot of tension down, like, in the in the tendon, and that's what the right. IT band is. So until you actually address, like, these central trigger points, which which are usually, like, right in the, speaking of eating animals, right in the steak of a oh, muscle, yeah. you know, like the belly yeah. of a muscle, like a nice, a nice you know, fleshy, steaky part, not a tendon part. Yeah. Until you really address those, if that's the issue, the tendon stuff, like, never goes away. So it doesn't really matter what you do. At the source of any kind of tendon inflammation or tendonitis, it's 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 not really going to resolve until you sort of go to the the source of that that tension that's pulling on that uh, that IT band, if you will. Yeah. Okay, so let's back up a few steps because I think the whole trigger point thing is interesting because I think there are literally millions of guys who are into lifting and they've heard about trigger points and it's kind of like you know. All right, whatever. Everybody has them. I'm going to squat 700 tomorrow. And like, so, w- what are trigger points? Why are they important? Why do you want to address them? And how do you address them? And and you know, is it is you know, do your best sales job to convince the average guy who lifts weights that or girl that you know you probably have trigger points and you're going to have some kind of a problem if you don't address them. So what what does that sound like? Well, every yeah, okay. Kind of like you said, everybody has trigger points. Now, not all tender spots or spots that are painful are trigger points. Now, you know, they have done some pretty good research where they've actually, like, you know, taken electron microscopes or they'll take out, I mean, they'll do, like, a biopsy of an actual, you know, what is a presumed sort of a knot or a nodule in the belly of a muscle, and they do find that there are actual physiological changes. So a trigger point, it, it's not really a spasm. Some people think, you know, like a spasm is a trigger point. It's totally different because a spasm needs a signal from the nervous system. A trigger point doesn't need a signal from the nervous system. It's just like a bundle of sarcomeres that have decided to – and sarcomeres, for those yeah. who might not know, are just like the little, like, functional building blocks of any, you know, flesh. Any of, of, of muscle fiber. They're kind of like yeah. – yeah. So, so, yeah. So what, the sarcomeres are like all hyper-contracted even though w- without a signal from the, from the nervous yeah. system? Is that, do I have a Yeah, so, so, but here's the deal. It's actually okay, so why, like... Why, an, is that, why is that bad? Well, so it's not necessarily bad. Here's the thing. Okay. It's actually, it's like an evol- like my whole take on like how our body like deals with stress and, and training is with stress is from an evolutionary perspective. Like I totally buy into like how evolution has you know, sort of designed our bodies. Maybe I'll offend some people, but I think that I think that I think the research is just so overwhelming that sure. we have evolved. So anyway, a I am trigger point. I offended, but keep going. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, a trigger point is 
is sort of like an evolutionary design. Like if if you were, you know, having to do something that required a new muscle action, like you're building some some hut in the jungle or something back in the days, uh, or like in a cave or something, and you're having to activate your traps and all this stuff. If you, if you, oh, I love it. If your body develops trigger points, it's like a low level, uh, like stabilizer to help you create more force. So it's actually short term. It's like a good thing. It's like, yeah, it's like if you get injured, you blow your back out, you, you know, you, you, you deadlifted too much weight, you didn't warm up, you were a moron and you, you know, whatever. Your hamstrings will get so many, like, instant trigger points to keep you from bending over. But it's it's like a defense mechanism. So, like, if you try to remove those trigger points during an injury, you can actually make your back worse. So there's sort of a time and a place when, when you want to deal with trigger points. Like, you don't, you know, first off, they're not all bad. You don't want right. to get rid of them all. Like, that's number right. one. Like, a lot of people think, oh, you know, like a lot of massage therapists, and I know lots of them, they're, they just think anything that's tight and anything that's that's painful is bad, and it's a trigger point, and it needs to be, like, it needs to be removed. It's the worst right. thing in the world, and it's not right. true. Like, a lot right. of times, they're actually, like, uh, functional. Right. So, But isn't it true, though? I mean, so here's my take on this. And, like, what I, appreci- what I appreciate about Keith, unlike a lot of people in this industry, is, like, Keith has been, like, hammering on this stuff for, like, freaking years and years and years. And, you know, Keith has been very consistent about the kind of things that, that he's uh, – you know, interested in and the kind of things that he's doing. And I, I just say that because I'm thinking right now like of three pretty well-known fitness experts uh, who have like recently become like vegetarians and like you totally get the sense they're just doing it because they have some book they're trying to sell. But like this is yeah. like all Keats has been doing for like probably 15 years, you know. Yeah, but, since um, 94. Is, yeah, since yeah 94. so I mean Keats and I have had conversations like this ad nauseum, so it's uh, it makes it an easy uh, and fun interview. But but isn't it true that if you have a little – so basically a trigger point is a little hyper-contracted little fiber of muscle, right? Yeah, or it's like a bundle of, of sarcomeres. Okay. So yep. isn't, it, isn't it true then that the problem, the potential problem anyway, and you tell me if I'm right, is that if you have a, a little chunk of muscle that's hyper-contracted, then it becomes kind of ischemic, right? It's not getting It's not getting oxygen because it's too tight for the, the little capillaries to get through it. So then if it loses oxygen, it kind of yeah. becomes necrotic, it kind of dies off, and now you got like kind of unhealthy, dead muscle yeah. tissue in there, right? And so am I right? Yeah, well, that, yeah. usually it's the lack of blood or or the word you mentioned, is, which is ischemia, which is a, right. it's definitely the right word. You know, it just basically means a lack of blood to an area which is, it's going to lead to a lack of oxygen, right? All tissues will die eventually without oxygen. So when trigger points get bad, yeah, it's it's like you talked about, when you have this chronic contracted area, you're not getting enough blood flow, the body perceives that almost as an injury, even if there wasn't like an actual, like, you know, like real injury, and it'll start laying down collagen and scar tissue, which over time can make you immobile or can definitely toughen up your tissues if you lose a lot of mobility, you will lose some strength, even though you have, like, more stability. You're not going to be as strong. And if the sarcomeres are all contracted and shortened, those myofilaments, they can't contribute anymore. So it's kind of like if you walk into a room and all the light bulbs are on and you want it brighter, but it's like, you, I mean, you'd have to add more light bulbs. You can't turn on a light sure. that's already on, right? Sure. So, I mean, that, okay. that's all a right, problem. So I, 
I have a somebody wrote in a question on the web. Uh, let's see, it's Phil S from Topeka, Kansas. He was said, "Dear Keats, um, is it possible that someone's whole body could be a trigger point?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I, gosh, I, I certainly think that I'm, I'm one. I mean, I've got like every, every known like referral trigger point when I get worked, like, like if Patrick. Ward works on me or somebody, and he's definitely good at doing the work. I mean, my referrals are crazy, so I don't know. I mean, it's like I have a lot of trigger points, a lot of lifters, a lot of people ha have have these latent trigger points. Like they don't, they're not giving them any pain unless you actually yeah. push on them. But it's like a trigger point, sort of in disguise. And then yeah. only when you really stress out a joint or an area will it sort of rear its ugly head. So you can't really yeah, yeah, ever but, get rid of them. Right. So, but I mean, if you have a lot of unabated trigger points that just are just never addressed, I mean, eventually that just becomes all gunky, like scarred over tissue. And, and That's really, yeah. functionally, you actually, your muscles becomes kind of more and more scar tissue and less and less contractile tissue. So even if you're the most pragmatic, like power lifter in the world, I mean, this is, this is something you want to address because you're, you're going to get weaker. You don't have as much muscle tissue. It's going to happen. I mean, I mean, if you look at the some of the best sort of longevity masters athletes, like Derek Torres comes to mind, um, the swimmer. I mean, she she's got like a whole crew, a whole team of like stretchers and neuromuscular therapists, and you know they're doing all kinds of stuff to her. Now, granted, who knows yeah. really about her? I mean, I, obviously nothing's ever you know come out on her on any kind of performance enhancing drugs. So you'd like to think she's clean. But right. the fact of the matter is, I mean, she's doing some pretty impressive things, whether she was clean or not. And she's clearly putting a lot of emphasis on range of motion, uh, strength training, and a lot of soft tissue work. So, uh, you, you know, at least has to make you think that by keeping those tissues a little, uh, you know, a little freer, a little healthier, I mean, whether or not you can really break up scar tissue and get, get rid of it, I don't know. But I think you can reorganize it in a way to where your mobility is better, which will then make your strength better. Crap. Every time I interview guys like Keith, I'm like, man, I need to use a foam roller more. Yeah, yeah it's kind of a, you know, it's just one of those things. It's just, I don't know. It's kind of like flossing or something. It's like, ah, do I really want to floss tonight? It's kind of a pain in the ass. But then you yeah. do it, and, you you know, if you do it, you know, effectively and properly. Well, see, that's, why, that's why I think this interview is important because I think a lot of people – I think you floss because it's kind of easy to understand what the benefit is. And, and with a foam roller, like a lot of people, I think, are just slightly mystified about what it's really doing or, hey, may, you know, how do I know if I even have enough skill to, like, be doing any good for myself? So I guess that's where the DVD comes in. Yeah, and, you know, having a little bit of knowledge of, like, how how trigger points work, like wanting to make sure that you're actually searching like the belly of a muscle. So even if you didn't know your anatomy, if you could just look online and look at like an anatomy chart and say, okay, like here's the, here's the quad, whatever, you know, and the part that is red, you know, is more, yeah. is, is muscle. And the part that's white is obviously tendon. So right. you, you want to treat those bellies like the center of a muscle is where you'll right. usually have the most like heinous trigger points that will cause that real tensile pull on the on either attachment. I mean, they're kind of getting away from the whole origin insertion thing, but on, and right. you know the proximal or distal attachment, and that's usually where we get a lot of problems. We don't really feel it in the belly. We feel it like 
you know, in our kneecaps, we feel it, you know, in our shoulders, yeah. we feel it in like our, like our, you know, the elbow, the cause, like that, right? that, that. Yeah, that's not the cause, though. No, no, right, it's usually, right, okay. you know, it's, it's improper warm-up, it's too, you know, too big of an increase or too much, it's basically like too much stress somehow or your right. form was bad and your body, you know, rather than getting injured, your body just sort of <clears throat> got these little tweaks and then it formed these, these little uh, nodules, these trigger points, if you will, to help stabilize or splint or kind of create more, like, I guess, stability in that area because, it, you know, the nervous system is just reacting. Like, well, if this person's going to keep doing this, then I need to, I yeah, need to yeah, do yeah. something to, to make this less uh, Okay, so, and, and so is, is, it, is it true also um, that, like, it doesn't matter what you're using, if you're using a rolling pin or a tennis ball, but when you get on that trigger point, you know, you have that kind of obnoxious kind of uh, pain. And, but, but the way you know it's a trigger point is that if you just stay there, then over the course of maybe 10 seconds, the pain will kind of dissipate. Am I right about that? Well, that, that, could happen on, you... yeah, that could happen on any point. I mean, the telltale sign of an of a actual sort of classical trigger point is that it oh, actually oh. refers pain to Somewhere some else. other area. Like, it's hard to really get on a trigger point with a foam roll. You'll get a, you'll get a bunch of them, you know what I mean? So you just right. get this vague, diffuse sort of pain. Whereas if you can get a little more isolated with like a you know one of those uh, Sarah Canes or a thumb or like maybe a golf ball might work. So golf ball is pretty brutal on the body except for like the feet and the hands and stuff. Uh, you know you got to be a little more specific sometimes to actually find like a trigger point. A little more skill. You could use like a screwdriver. Screwdrivers like work. Scalpels work well. Uh, forks forks sometimes work. A pitchfork I've used many times. <laughs> All right. But I would assume no power tools. No by power way, tools. By the way, that reminds me of something I wanted to ask you before. What do you think of those handheld massager device thingies that, you know, they feel great, but um, you yeah. know, my experience is they just kind of feel great, but I'm not sure substantively. What yeah, you know, I think they feel good. I mean, it, you, I mean, it, you kind of have to almost categorize it in the realm of, like, vibration devices. So if anything the stronger it sort of vibrates and oscillates back and forth, it's actually going to stimulate muscle contraction, not uh, not diminish it. To really diminish, like, an overtoned, like, hypertonic muscle, you do want that just sort of, like, static pressure that you're going to hold maybe 8 to 20 seconds. No more than right. 20 seconds, right, because then you're just cutting off the blood supply, creating okay. more ischemia. Gotcha. So that's, you know, that's usually the best way you, you deal with... Uh, trigger points is to, is to get yeah, yeah, isolated yeah. direct pressure. But I, I don't know. I mean, maybe if you, even if you just like did relaxation exercises, like the tonus in your body would reduce and you could reduce a, a trigger point just by becoming more like mentally calm. I mean, like, like some Buddhist or yogi meditator or something. That sounds pretty gay. <laughs> All yeah. right. But anyway, hey, I don't have a good segue for this, but man, Usain Bolt, because you're a sprinter and everything. Speaking of great athletes and wondering what they're doing and stuff, but my uh, God, two nineteen twenty. What on earth? No, nineteen nineteen. Yeah. Or excuse me, nineteen nineteen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, uh, I don't even have words for what that guy's doing. Uh, it doesn't even. It's sort of incomprehensible how much he blows away the rest of the field. Have you learned anything about him on the sprint circuit in terms of what he does or who his coach is or anything? Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I've I've read, I've listened to interviews. I mean, his coach is just like this 
sort of older Jamaican dude. It's just the luckiest coach in the world because he's working with, like, the best DNA ever. But, yeah, he's taking ideas from, you know, Charlie Francis and other guys, and yeah. he's a good coach. Um, but it, I, I don't know. It's kind of yeah. – it's just kind of – he's such a freak of nature, and, I mean, I guess you hope he's clean. Uh, that would be amazing if he was. He certainly yeah, have you spoken work? about who this is we're talking about? Some. Well, Usain Bolt is a 102. Oh, 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 okay. I didn't hear you say his name. Yeah, Usain I was just Bolt, wondering. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, the, the margin I've never seen in a track meet. I think number two was 1971, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I think it was 198 something. Or really? I mean, just yeah. insane margin. I mean, it was like three quarters of a second. Which he, is an, he beat which, it by 0.11, just like he did oh. the 100. Yeah, which one. is an, an eternity in sprint. Yeah, killed yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. those guys. And unbelievable. Anyway, I just thought that was an interesting. Yeah, uh, he's using my phone, my DVD. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it might be. Don't sell yourself short. He might be. I mean, so I don't really know much yeah, about sprinting. He's you guys got a copy of it. Be natural. Is well, he, he natural? Has to be, but we hope. Right. Well, he hasn't failed. Okay, he, let's put it this way: he hasn't failed any tests yet. But that doesn't always. I mean. There's so many other things in steroids, so it's like maybe there is some sort of weird stuff in the yams over there. Like his dad no. said after the Olympics, it was the, it's the Jamaican yams. I said, where, where can I get some of them yams, you know? Yeah. Well, the <laughs> funny right. thing is, it's um, uh, and this is not a this is not an endorsement of steroid use, but he, even if he is juiced to the gills, his numbers are still just astounding, just astounding. Right. I'm, oh, yeah. I mean, know, just because you take um, drugs doesn't mean you have – it's not going to give you, like, unbelievable skill in genetics. It's just – Yeah, it's, it's a stat. I mean, yeah. Well, um, I think uh, unless – I know I've hogged this whole interview, so I apologize. But uh, if you guys have any uh, immediate questions or should we go to the topic? No, I say we go to the topic. I'm good. Let's go to the topic. Yeah. So, it's a good one. do need a meat commercial and um so uh all right so today's topic interestingly enough is bilateral versus unilateral exercises and keats you might think that it's uh, a coincidence that uh that you're on the show today having written an article called in defense of bilateral exercises <laughs> that's right <laughs> but keats did write an article recently which we published in our newsletter if you go to stalytraining.com and go to articles and uh, in the archive, you'll find that uh, that uh, article. But it does seem that one of the trends over the past five to ten years is not only this big emphasis on balance training and core training and stability training, but, but funny enough, all of those things tend to involve unilateral uh, drills, whether you're on one foot or one knee, and or on a BOSU ball or on some type of an unstable pad or ball or something, you know. And uh, so I hadn't thought of it until I, I just said that. But um, the whole unilateral emphasis that you see a lot now, um, and, and I'm even thinking about things like uh, uh, alternating 
dumbbell bench presses and all those sorts of things. That really is very much tied into the whole functional training, stability training kind of thing. But Keith, you did an, an article recently f for our newsletter, and you were kind of taking that whole, I, not taking it to task, but just saying, hey, man, maybe maybe we're overlooking the stuff that most great athletes got great on, which is, you know, squats and deadlifts and benches and Olympic lifts and things like that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think people just uh, are always looking for the newest, you know, the latest and the greatest and, you know, unilateral movements. And, and primarily, I was in my article, I was just referring to um, lower extremity exercises. I mean, you could do a whole thing for the upper body as well. But I was, you know, it was more. I was more defending, like you said, your squats and your deadlift variations and clean and jerks and whatnot. Uh, or, of course, jerk isn't a, isn't necessarily a bilateral movement. But yeah, but I think that there's the drive. The drive on a jerk, as you drive that bar upward, is the the yeah. the, 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 the the active dynamic part of a jerk is bilateral. Is bilateral. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, like the argument that people will make, like I'll bring Mike Boyle for example. Actually, Patrick and I just interviewed him yesterday. We had a good interview with him for our uh, our podcast, uh, Reality Based Fitness Podcast. Um, and I really respect Mike. I just something I really disagree with him on is the whole unilateral and bilateral thing that you know we spend so much time on one leg during sport and this and that, and so therefore we should train on one leg. And just if you just sort of hear that, it's sort of, yeah, that sounds good. That makes sense. Right. But when you really kind of dive into the arguments that they make, uh, they're not good, and they don't hold a lot of uh, of credibility like in a scientific arena because, one, from a force output, you're never going to, you know, have the sort of training effect that from right. a unilateral exercise as you are from a bilateral exercise. And so there's that whole, like, endocrine response. Like, if, you, if, you, if someone needs to gain, like, you know, a certain amount of, like, size or mass, you can do it with single-leg exercises, but isn't it a whole lot easier to use bilateral movements? I yeah. mean, that you know, that's one argument that I think is uh, is pretty valid. And then, yeah, I've, I've never seen someone become completely massive doing lunges. Yeah, I mean, it's a great exercise. I mean, You know, women, yeah. women know this instinctively, don't they? That's why they, you know, that's why they always do, like, lunges. It's just like, okay, well, this is safe. I won't gain any weight doing this. Like, even they know this, you know, like novice, <laughs> like novice female trainees. I, I'm not saying anything yeah. disrespectful against women, but, like, even you know, even people who, who have, like, no knowledge and coupled with a fear of gaining weight kind of know that lunges are the key drill, you know. Yeah, I you know, I think it, there's also that whole spot, kind of spot reduction nonsense, like it's going to magically, like, melt the fat off your ass or something, which yeah. unfortunately doesn't seem to work that way, but anyway. So, yeah, that's just a, that's just sort of like a pet peeve of mine, you know, when people start getting into so much uh, unilateral stuff. Um, I mean, let's just face it, like, doing, like, a gut-busting set of, like, squats or front squats, it's just, it's freaking hard. Yeah. It's just no way around. I mean, doing lunges and, like, split squats is really hard, too. It's very hard. But you just have to look at sort of the cost-benefit ratio, you know, like, where is your time going to be better spent? Now, if you've got a serious, like, asymmetry or you have a fused ankle or something and you can only squat down, mm -hmm. you know, an inch, oh, yeah, maybe you're not yeah, going to be able to yeah. do a lot of full range of motion. Yeah. I mean, Charles, I know your your knee is a limitation, so you squat as low as you can. I do. You know? Yeah, but it's like, you're not yeah. going to get as low as, like, uh, you know, some elite-level, like, no, Asian Olympic lifter. I can get us to about parallel, and that's it, you know, so. Um, but, but it uh, works for you, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. 
But, but it uh, doesn't mean you just stop doing them completely. Now, next week we'll be interviewing Phil Stevens on a new exercise he created last week called a Polish getup. <laughs> a Polish getup? Yeah, it's a unique combination of bilateral uh, and unilateral, so this way you get the best of both worlds. And basically, it's, it's basically a push-up with a loaded barbell on your back, uh, and then you get to a kneeling position and then ultimately to a standing position. Um, and so, uh, but I'll, I'll just put a little plug in there for that, that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Yes, that sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's completely unsafe and irresponsible. But, uh, so, but, um, so go through some of these, I, I, I know, I know I didn't tell you I was going to talk about your article, so I don't know if it's top of mind, but, um, no, it's, some that's, of the other arguments that you have about the, you know, the tendencies that people have to, to, to overlook bilateral drills. I mean, we talked yeah. about the whole endocrine response, so I think that's a big one. But yeah. in terms of performance, what else? Okay, well, they talk about, um, I hear this a lot from, like, you know, kind of your more athletic trainer, physical therapy people who are really, you know, into the single leg exercises. They say, well, in gait cycle, like if you study, like, the human gait cycle, yeah. and during walking, like most of the research on this is during walking, you're, you spend, all you know, around 60% of the time you're on one leg. Right. But like in most like sort of athletic sports that are a little more speed and power oriented, I mean, if you're walking, you're like on a break or you're going to a timeout or you're on the sideline. Like if you're spending 60% of your time on one leg, that's really bad. Like the idea, you know, when you're sprinting and running is to, is to spend the least amount of time on the ground as possible. So right. essentially, it's almost like you're trying to make yourself bilateral by having smaller and smaller, or shorter and shorter foot contacts. Oh, so you're actually spending more time in the air. And so it's just a totally different um, yeah. like time that you're on the ground. So like my argument is, well, then skydiving would be the most sport-specific exercise for sports because you're <laughs> – you're not on the ground at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I mean, I, well, like, I could make that counter-argument. Like, I'm not yeah. saying don't do not do unilateral movements. I mean, I throw right. them in from time to time. I do them with clients. But that's just a really bad argument. Like, right. it just doesn't hold water. Because you're, I mean, you really don't want to be on one leg, like, for a long time in, like, a slow, like, way. I mean, if you're right. you're so unstable, you can just be destabilized so fast. So, like, I don't have a problem with people if they've got really weak hips doing some warm-up drills where they're on one leg and they're doing these little, like, toe-touch drills just to kind of, like, fire up their glutes. And I don't know if it, you know, really works, but it, it you seem to feel it there. Maybe more like an awareness exercise, just to kind of, sure. like, what the hell, what the hell your glutes do, you know, your, especially right. your, like, your, your medius minimus. But, you know, beyond that, it, it, it's got to, you know, I mean, it's got to be more dynamic. I mean, probably more, you know, plyos and all kinds of things, bounding and things like that would be a better version of a one-legged that's exercise. True. That's true. That, and and save your your strength for bilateral movements. But you know, that's that's just my opinion. But yeah, I mean, you look at any well, any sport that is weight bearing or contact, you know, driven, you know, football, weightlifting. Anything like that. I mean, when you're when you're getting into the heavy explosive aspects of, of that sport, you're generally wanting to be on two feet. You know, when a football yeah. player hits another one, they're not driving into him with one leg. You know, you're getting a strong base on the line and, and ramming into each other, or you're using both arms, or you know, a weightlifter's not going to run up and try and do a one arm snatch on his left leg. 
you know. It's exactly. Or even if you are in like a split position, you know, like a like a lineman, you know, you got one yeah. leg forward. You're st- when you're applying force, even if I'm coming out of the blocks, I'm applying force through both legs. Yeah. Both feet. No, I'm not in a totally like bilateral, like even parallel position, but it's. I mean, I'm, it's not like I'm just trying to jump off one leg. Yeah. You know what's you know what interesting? I mean? This this reminds me of the famous study that is is quoted so many times, and I don't know. I don't know the name of the study, but it was done at one of the Olympics where they determined that the that that weightlifters, meaning Olympic weightlifters, were faster than than elite sprinters for like the first five yards or whatever. Yeah. Um, and 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 and, uh, and I suspect that might be true, but but assuming it's true, if you give us uh, that much, um, it's it's not true because weightlifters are doing any unilateral drills at all because they don't do any. So there's yeah, I mean, maybe where, just a few, uh, some split jerks and stuff, right? They're, I mean, they yeah. may do a couple of warm-up lunges or but something just to get primarily bilateral, yeah. and so whatever speed they have on the first five meters of a sprint is is coming from bilateral training. Exactly. Well, I mean, you can kind of I'm, – I'm not against bi- a unilateral training either. I mean, I think there's a place for it somewhere, yeah. I mean, to address weaknesses and whatnot. But, I mean, you can kind of take – the the whole unilateral craze into I don't know kind of the exerciser or the bodybuilder mindset of you know you can feel it more it's it's a bit more painful you know I'm I'm really isolating that one leg now so I'm really working it that's and, a good point you yeah know, instead yeah. of the you know how can I be working that those, those legs as much if I can't you know I'm using both using them both but you know <laughs> I'm cheating what, what goes what goes hand in hand though with this topic today is the shift over the past, you know, I don't know, 30 years from heavy bilateral drills being the prime, you know, heavy bilateral free weight types of drills to now where everything is light, unstable, single limb, um, you know, uh, you know, people have gotten away from, uh, here's a good pun, the meat and potatoes of, of where this whole you know, this whole uh, crap came from. Uh, I mean, for for 90% of the history of athletics in, in the world, athletes train with heavy bilateral free weight type movements. It's only been quite recently that, you know, everything is done like a cross cable uh, wood chop, like on one knee on a, you know, on a, on a, on a BOSU pad or whatever. Yeah, and it's just sort of interesting that whole trend. It's not just unilateral. I just view that as, as, as almost symptomatic of like what everybody is doing today, and which is like, nope, no. By the way, nothing against kettlebells or anything like that, but you know, uh, kettlebells, elastic tubing, one knee cross cable, you know. But uh, it, it almost seems that uh, bilateral barbell drills. Um, are, have really fallen by the wayside, you know. Well, even like commercialized, uh, the majority of commercialized gym equipment now is is designed to be um, used in, in a, you know, what 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 has been traditionally a, bi- a bilateral type machine has now been um, fitted so it can be used um, unilaterally. Right. 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 So absolutely. I mean, that may be a little easier on the joints if you're talking like from a machine standpoint. You might not be quite as uh, locked in, but why would you want to be using, you know, those machines anyway, I guess, is another question. I mean, you shouldn't really be on the machines too much anyway unless you're, like, injured and you can't really uh, yeah. you can't really move, right? 
Yeah, well, I mean, exactly. When you see people in the gym, they use those machines. Sometimes I even question whether they're they were ultimately designed to be used in that in, in you know single arm and so forth. You see a lot of these, um, you know, like hammer strength type back machines and stuff, and people are you know doing their high pulls and stuff so one arm at a time, and you're thinking, you know, I mean, you, you can't move any weight like that. But right, right. And, and I like, guess it depends on what your goal is. I mean, if you're going for, I guess. I mean, what I think it's good for is sort of dynamic flexibility. Like, I'll do lunge variations and drills, like, in my warm-up, like, for warming up my groin and my hip flexor, and depending on what I'm doing with my training. I mean, I'll throw in some, like, you know, whatever, Polish split, split squats or, who knows, <laughs> Bulgarian this or that, or, you know, I'll throw in some single-leg deadlifts, just more for, like, just getting, like, it's sort of like an active stretch, but I'm not really thinking I'm going to get anything out of it from, like, a strength standpoint. Yeah. You know, uh, by the way, that just reminds me, do you notice how, like, every time Americans want to give extra credibility to something, you give it, like, a foreign prefix? Yeah, exactly. Like, we we have so much more respect for Russian this and Romanian that, but, you know, yeah, there's Romanian no such thing as, like, is there such a thing as an American deadlift or an American squat, you know, but that, that, that would not be, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's just that whole, like, Eastern Bloc communist mystique or something that yeah. they had all the secrets and, uh... You know, we just don't really know what we're doing, right? Because they used right. to kick our pants so bad. Well, they still do in Olympic weightlifting, right? But yeah, that could do. be for uh, that could be for other reasons. It um, could be. It could be. I I have one reason just right in mind, but yeah. We've so, got some pretty damn good powerlifters, though. True. Yeah, we got some. We've got some good track athletes. We've got some good swimmers. Yeah. We've got some good gymnasts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. Yep. Yes. So, Anybody want to talk about meat? Meat? <laughs> if Never you mind. don't eat meat, then f you. Keith, Keith does eat meat. I will. I will affirm to you that we're not talking to a vegetarian here. So. <laughs> no, no, I, I, no, I, I eat meat. I, I eat animal. I eat dead, dead animal. <laughs> That's one of the one of the greatest ones I heard the last few days was uh, from from a PETA member. Um, <laughs> it was a. Uh, all God's great creatures have a place, and it's right next to the mashed potatoes. <laughs> that was disrespectful. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, uh, to, to get back on track, uh, although we do need a break from the seriousness of this conversation from time to time, but we are talking to Keith Schneidman, who, uh, whose website is Coach Keats. That's Coach K E A T S dot com, and I just want to make sure people can get to your website and. Uh, Keith, what, what's coming up in the future that we should know about? Any new products, any new articles coming out, Any anything coming up that we should know about? Um, yeah, working on some uh, some articles. I mean, i got always so many articles that I start that are just sitting there that I need to finish. It's just finding the time. Uh, I've got one on it's called The Power of Baseline that's going to be coming up pretty soon. Just on the importance of, like, having – baseline like objective measurements to be able to go back to and like all the major sort of facets of your lifestyle and training because it just simple you know simplifies your life i mean kind of like your whole deal with like systems that you were talking about a couple years ago like you have to have some way of being able to like look back to see if like what you're doing may had any change like if you have a baseline program of like certain exercises and lifts and rep ranges that you use like you should be able to make progress on that i mean you know, at any yeah. time, albeit not as, you know, as quickly. But then if you're going to do, if you're going to add creatine or if you're going to add, you're going to try some, you know, some supplement or something, like, don't add, like, three or four at a time. I mean, just add one 
element, like only manipulate one element at a time and see what it does. And it, This is such an easy, like, no-brainer concept, but we're so, like, ADD and, like, CrossFit-like obsessed that we just want to do everything all the time, and then you don't know what the hell's working. <laughs> you know, that's such a great um, – uh, despite the diss on CrossFit, which I'm personally offended about, but uh, I'm just kidding – but it's so true. I mean, it's just scientific 101, science, scientific method 101. And and I think that, that probably aside from placebo, the number one reason that most, uh, you know, supplements that people buy work is that, you know, you spend $97 on some kind of supplement. So suddenly you just freaking kick everything into high gear because you just like, you don't want to waste the money. So now your training is more intense. Your nutrition is better. Like you're, you know, you start changing everything, and then you give the supplement all the credit. Right. You start changing the variable that actually will will make yeah. a real, like, stimulus change in your body to actually get an adaptation, yeah. whereas maybe the, the actual substance didn't really do anything, but you expected it to, so you had right. this sort of bias, this expectation bias that you're going to get results. And Well, people know, do the same thing when they go on cycles of drugs. You know, you hear yeah. people say, oh, I'm going to the cycle, so I'm, you know, really uh, going to focus on my training and, you know, bump up all my eating and all this stuff. And, you know, so, yeah, absolutely. They, 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 it extends down to just supplementation for sure. Yeah, well, the human mind is so powerful. I mean, in terms of what, you know, I mean, you've got the placebo effect. You've got the nocebo effect, which is like getting an ill effect from something that shouldn't make you sick, but you think it will, so it does. I mean, it's, it's crazy what our, you know, what our, you know, the psychology can sometimes trump your physiology, but still, I think your best bet in this day and age is to try to be kind of scientific with it, just to like simplify your life and 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 just manipulate the variables in like a rational way. Because human beings, as we know, are so you know they're so emotional with, that we make most of our decisions emotionally, and then we try to like rationalize, like yeah, I did the right thing or I did that. And with training. It doesn't really help people. I mean, look at all the like wow, goofy diets great, people do, and it's that crazy. That is a great subject. That is a great subject. You know, emotional versus rational decision making. Yeah. Phil, so make a note of that. That'll be a good show. <laughs> we yeah. all have to be like Ivan Drago. We'll find. Give we'll me find back on because I got a lot of things to say about that. Who could we? Who could we find that would be a really emotional guest versus a really rational guest? We can have both, and we can have like on. point counterpoint. I don't know. Maybe like a. Who's you like have one of those, like, biggest loser coaches, you know, like those. There you go. Yeah. Like the, Get them both on. Yeah. Yeah. Jillian Michaels, and who's the other guy? Who's like I can't most, remember his name. Who's the most, like, uh, analytical person that you could think of? Anyway, that would be a good uh, That would be a good uh, point-counterpoint for sure. But that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's basically, you know, some of the ideas I have. Uh, Patrick Ward and I just opened up a facility uh, in Tempe, which is uh, we're really excited about. So that's uh, that's nice. you know that's kind of a, our biggest venture here. You know that's that's my big project right now. We just built the platform yesterday, so that's kind of. Oh, can we come over? Yeah, come break cool. it in. So uh, we got that going on, and I don't know. I'm just just trying to see uh, kind of where where the rest yeah. of the year takes me here. I'm I'm I, I, I'm wanting to create a a product on sprinting for average Joes or sprinting for masters athletes uh, because I think that a lot of people as they get older, they just think that they need to become like endurance athletes and I have mm -hmm. a lot of them as clients for 
my soft tissue work, and I just see just some of, you know, some of the devastation it can cause to the human body without any real benefits in terms of strength or muscle or flexibility. And if someone doesn't really enjoy it, like they'd, like they'd be better off learning how to do some sprints and just focus yeah, on more yeah, yeah, yeah. Keith, like you aerobic that, you type of that. You should write that yeah. article. I, I really think sprinting, maybe I'm unique this way, but like when you watch Usain Bolt and run, like, I don't know. The first thing I'm just like, man, I should get on the track and do a little sprint. <laughs> it's just one of those activities that like you just sort of reflexively understand that there's probably some benefit, but then how do you integrate it into your whole system so you're not racked with like Achilles tendonitis and you know all that? I, I, well, I, I do it. I do it. I mean, I'm, I mean, I have to be pretty uh, proactive on my on my recovery and regeneration sort of stuff. Because, yeah, I, I have had some issues. But, I mean, I'll be 36 here in a couple months, and I really haven't stopped training sprints since college. And uh, I'm really not any slower, even at 30, you know. I haven't really – I cool. still think I still think I can break down into the 10s again. Which I mean, I don't compare myself to guys like Usain Bolt because then it, <laughs> it's sort of – I mean, he's he's doing something else. I don't, I, I don't do what he does. I, I do sprinting. I, he floats or he does some other kind of – yeah. weird thing but no i just think it's an activity that uh like your ability to maintain that ability of even if you could sprint 20 meters whatever 10 meters you not not you know not like lap around a track or 400 or something but it it could make a difference between like saving your life like in a threatening situation like just the ability to give explosive bursts uh, i think is you know from the hip musculature primarily I think it's something that is just lost, in, you know, in this sedentary society. And your ability to maintain that, I think, will lead to, like, a much lower level of morbidity as you age and, you know, having people, you know, feed oatmeal dribbling down. I mean, everyone talks about life <laughs> extension, but who wants to live to be, like, 90? If the last 20 years you're, like, sitting in an old folks' home, like, you know, yeah. drool and oatmeal and you can't move and you, <laughs> you oh, have man, no glutes, you have funny. no teeth, so you can't. You can't eat meat. I mean, what what fun is that? <laughs> I mean, another another thing. People always, you know, you know, they always use the reference. You know, well, I can I can run this far, you know, and this and that, and it's like, well, okay. I said, you know, I can deadlift over seven hundred pounds, you know, and I can I can I guarantee you, I can go out and I'll do a marathon. It may take me three or four days, but you could do it. But I'll get it done. Give somebody else three or four days to try and lift up seven hundred pounds. They're not going to make it any closer. You know, it's the the speed and the no, that's, you know, a, that's the a really good aspects, point. You know that you know everybody is lacking. Anybody can go out. I don't care who you are, as long as you're semi healthy and go 25 miles. Yeah, but at what cost and and what yeah. benefit oh, yeah. to your body? I mean, that's what I say. I mean, I, it's it's pretty frustrating to you know I'm trying to work with these endurance athletes that get referred to me and they just uh, like they don't. They don't get it. Like, they just want to keep going out and beating themselves up and getting quarter sun shots and this and that. It's like, what the? It, it, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. But, yeah. but you know, you, when you're talking about that, I mean, a lot of people just do not realize how much sprints can really chew you up. I mean, if you've never done it, I'm thinking back about 10 years ago, I was on this kick about doing 10s. I was talking to my buddy Martin Rooney from the Parisi Speed sure. School, and he, like, has all this enthusiasm about it. And I remember... I remember doing a workout, and I don't even think I did more than about eight or ten of them. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, will that chew you up. But here, here's the thing, though. I and mean, here's hopefully what I plan to do in my book, 
is you have to ease yourself into this. Because, I mean, it's basically yeah. like going, if you did nothing and then you go into, like, max effort, like, you know, powerlifting work. Like, uh, no, your tendons aren't ready. You're, you know, like, your joints aren't ready. You have to gradually build into it. Like, probably even start with just, like, tempo work where you do 50, 60%, like, on the grass from, like, 50 meters, 50 yards. And you do, you do that two or three times a week for a couple weeks before you even start just to get some integrity in those in the tendons and the hamstrings and then yeah you start with literally like fives and then you build yeah. them maybe to tens and you gradually build up the volume and maybe throw in some hill sprints in there you know so you're not stretching the hamstrings as far and you gradually build up the volume until you can handle like an all-out maybe 20 or 30 i mean you, i, I you don't gotta, train regular gotta, people for sprints you gotta, Go ahead. Over and, you gotta come over and take phil and i out to the track we'll do it absolutely give us we'll bring we'll bring the video camera yeah. Let's do it. That'd be and then cool. we'll put it on America's Funniest Home Videos. I'm going to break yeah. out the, the Polish sprint. It's going to be new. You put a Polish sausage in front of Phil and you just dangle it. Oh, it'll be trouble. It'd be the, yeah, we need a meat commercial. That'd be good. <laughs> that would be a good one. How to increase running speed. Yeah. Keith, you're awesome. Thanks for spending time with us. And uh, we will totally. come invade. We're going to invade your gym very shortly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, come on by. Yeah, and uh, just for everybody listening again, um, it's CoachKeats.com. And uh, any other questions for Keats while we got them? No, um, I'd also say on the landing page there, you can go and find Keats' websites, uh, his, his DVD for sale and all that. Read. Yeah, get it. It's good stuff. I mean, if you – I just will say, if you – if you watch people using foam rollers and things like that and you hear people who are enthusiastic about it and you're just kind of not quite sure, I mean, this is like really a great product where you can watch this and you'll be confident. You'll know how to use that tool. You'll understand what it's doing and, and how to use it. And uh, so good stuff, Keith. Well, I yeah, think I mean, that was a good product. I think um, that was something that the marketplace really needs. Well, I think the refreshing thing about it, too, is he, he first he tells you why and, and how. But then gives you just some simple programs to hear. Just do this. You know, a yeah. lot of people give the the why, but then then they leave you open. To no, yeah, and, I, and yeah, yeah. You I have mean, to give a, a program here. Do this. So I mean, it, it makes it a bit simple. People don't want to think. So that's right. People don't want to think. So we'll think for them. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's okay, man. If it gets you doing it, it's good stuff. So. Exactly. Well, Keith, thank I you. like thinking, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, you can do the thinking for them. Exactly. Yep. It's good. So uh, cool. Well, Keith, thank you very much. And for everybody listening, thank you very much. Hope this was uh, entertaining and not terribly disturbing for you. And uh, we'll see you again next week. All right. Thanks, guys. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org. If you're interested in studying diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your also, they help with the and athletic trainers, qualified exercise physiologists, 